Uh, we are in a series and have been for a few weeks now entitled Follow. And uh, today's sort of a special day in this series uh, as it relates to um, those of us who have been gifted the opportunity to lead others. See, you cannot be a follower unless there is a leader. In fact, sometimes they say in uh, leadership circles that if you think you're a leader and you turn around and there's nobody following you, then you're just taking a walk. That's all. But, you know, leadership is something that was front and center uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to be a great follower, you have to understand leadership, especially if you want to be a leader. And so some of the thoughts that we're going to be sharing today will probably be good thoughts for you to pass along to your boss. You're going to go have them watch it online or something. Or maybe you are a boss kind of person. But I think all of us have some area of our life in which we have authority or leadership over others. Now, a lot of times, leadership is not seen as something that's sort of a church deal, right? You got the, the big entrepreneurial and passion people that are building their business and, and you know, raising the bar for all kinds of things. And a passionate people, it could be in the areas of sports or other kinds of arenas where you're like, you know, that's a great kind of leader. But church, I mean... I mean, leaders are always forward thinking and let's charge the next hill, let's accomplish the next thing. But church is sort of, that's like looking back, isn't it, on the past and the history of things. Well, friends, Jesus Christ was the greatest leader that uh, has ever lived on this earth. And Jesus Christ had a lot to say concerning leadership, but it had to do uh, with leading in the context of following and so I want to talk about great leading today. I like the um, uh, statement that uh, uh, Andy Stanley says, and he says, think about it with this, with Jesus. Jesus built his brand in three years and has hundreds of thousands of franchises all over the world without racking up a single frequent flyer mile. Think about that. All around the world, the church has uh, grown and proliferated, and, and he never even traveled more than probably 70 miles from where he was born. How was he able to do that? Because he knew great leadership and how to not just influence friends and win friends and influence people, but how to pass along that which can make people find fulfillment and success and be full of who God made them to be. So we're going to be on this journey today, and we're going to take a look at another narrative. In this series, we've been taking looks at narratives of Jesus related to followership. And so we pick up the story of Jesus, and as we worshiped, we're heading towards Passion Week, right? He is on another journey with his disciples, and they are headed to Jerusalem. It says this in Mark 10. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus, leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. So you had not just the, the 12 disciples, you have a contingency of other people, and they're moving towards Jerusalem, and he's again leading them and talking with them, imparting to them understanding concerning the kingdom of God. Just hopefully like what you did showing up here today in part to worship God, but also to learn from Christ, learn from the scriptures so that your life can be better and be strengthened. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. 
Now, this was a little bit of a different time. I mean, uh, popularity, a lot of things have been uh, building. We, uh, you know, sang the Hosannas this morning and the Palm Sunday was coming. But Jesus knew all things. And so he pulls them aside and he says, I want to talk to you that this, this time in Jerusalem, it's going to be a little bit different. Some things are going to be changing. You know, we've been getting a lot of accolades, and people are singing the praise, and you've been excited, and, and uh, there, a lot of things are just going well. But I, I need to give you some inside lead. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man, referring to himself, will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. And so he's endearing himself to his 12 disciples and, and, and unpacking this, that some things are going to happen. He's going to be delivered over. They will condemn him. He's speaking in third person, referring to himself. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Romans, the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So he's leaning in, he's endearing himself to his disciples, and um, he's trying to explain how it's going to be different. I mean, that's, that's not a good list there, is it? You're going to be mocked, you're going to be spit on, you're going to be flogged, you're going to be killed. And he's unpacking this to them, trying to get them to understand that this time into Jerusalem, it's going to be different. It's going to be way different. Then, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, what do you think Jesus was thinking? He just unbared his soul with them concerning about, you know, what was going to happen. And they're like, yeah, 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 that, that doesn't, you know, forget that whole thing of mocking and spitting and flogging and killing. Yeah, was, I, we, we got a question. It says, then, immediately after he endears himself to them, they come to him with this uh, crazy, seemingly outlandish question. Have you ever been a parent and you got your young kids and, and you're around the table and you're trying to lean in and share some things with them? Say, you know, I, I got some thoughts to share. You be careful and be wise to this. And this is something that maybe God would have us to do. And you're thinking they're all leaning in and listening to you. And then you get done and they go, um, can, can we go upstairs now? Or, Dad, do, do you know you have a double chin? And your face sort of makes this contorted look when you get serious like that. And, and you're like, what? Didn't you hear anything I just said to you? Well, I think Jesus has some of that kind of same appeal feeling here. He's, he's just unbared his soul. He's like, I forget the mocking and the spitting. We, we got a question for you. Here's our question. Will you do whatever else? And he's like, okay, okay. What's the question? What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. What? 
yeah, yeah, we want to we sort of lead with you, Jesus. We, you know, we, you know your, your kingdom and the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, everything we're part of. We want to, and like one of us on one side and one on the other side. I mean, what do you think, huh? What? What? And he begins to talk to them a little bit about this, James and John. And he says, I don't, you guys really don't understand. And you're really not going to be up to the task. And trust me on this one, that kind of thing. So he's having this one-off conversation with them. And the other ten overhear this conversation. All right? Now, what would you be thinking if you overheard that conversation? Verse 41, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant. With James and John. Now, they weren't indignant because, oh man, I can't believe that you would do something like that to Jesus. They weren't like feeling for Jesus. They were like, what? They were jealous. They were upset. What? What? Who says you get to sit on the left and the right? You know, you know, I, I want a corner office too with a window. I don't want to be in a cubicle. And hey, I want the laptop too. And there's some other perks and bennies that I want. Why, why were you getting those? How, what about me? So they were indignant related to how they were being treated, maybe versus James and John and how they were trying to get the inside lead on this. And Jesus' mind, can you imagine our Savior, where his mind was going at this point? I, I often sometimes, and you know, we've been on this journey, at, and a couple of weeks ago we talked about Peter, and when he started hearing, hearing about things of dying, he rebuked Jesus, right? And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. It's like he's working and wrestling with them. Last week we talked about Judas and how Judas didn't clue in, he didn't dial in, and he tried to force the hand of Jesus to, to take on a kingly role rather than his rabbinic role, and he just didn't understand, it. and then he ended up betraying Jesus and all that. Sometimes I think Jesus, uh, if he had a phone and he had a direct line to God, I know, but he's probably sometimes saying, Father, can I start over again and get a whole different group of people? Is this the team I've got for this season? This team's not very good. This team's not getting it. And here he is. Unbearing his soul, heading to Jerusalem for Passion Week. He knows what's coming on. They have two of his key guys pull him aside and start sort of uh, talking about themselves and what they want. Why? Because they really weren't concerned all that much about Jesus. They were concerned about themselves. And here they stepped up and actually made the request, can we lead with you in your kingdom and he's like you're not you're not up to the task you're not getting it you're not going to make it and then the others join in and they see this debacle in one sense and they're on the outside looking in and who are we we're not peons that kind of thing and they're like hey, hey, hey we're indignant about this james and john you can't be asking for that so jesus called them together and said, you know, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He said, would you come into my boardroom, maybe sit underneath this sycamore tree? I need to have a talk with all of us again. The world has a hierarchy, and he references the world in which they live, 
Do you not know that the rulers of the Gentiles, that, that they lord it over people, they exercise authority, and actually those two phrases come from the same, same Greek word, and it's a unique Greek word that's really not used somewhere else, and it doesn't really have to do with leading. It has to do with abuse of authority. And so he says, you know in your real world that there's this abuse of authority. Now, it's interesting in our world, whenever you're catching news headlines, there's always talk about, hey, is our leadership, whether it's political or uh, business-wise, are there people abusing their authority? In fact, there's a couple, three governors that are a little bit of hot water, even this last week, right? It's like, hey, hey, they, they maybe aren't as great a leader. Maybe they are abusing their leadership and abusing their authority. And Jesus is just calling them, you know the ways of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, they're thinking, but um, that's, that's sort of why we came to talk to you. We want to be able to be in authority with you and lead and do that kind of thing. Uh, they're not thinking abuse of it, but they know the culture. They know who gets the accolades. They know who has the power. They know who uh, is, is, are making the six figures or whatever it may be. And they're like, could we just do this? Be right there with you as you continue to sail higher in your kingship. Now, all of us are familiar with this because we're familiar with uh, org charts. And a lot of times in an org chart, and maybe this is in your uh, company world, or maybe you see it, at the top of an org chart, uh, there's the vision of you, especially if you're a boss, you. And then you have some people underneath you, and those people underneath you are what? They are for you. They are there to support what you are doing. And then they have people that are underneath them that work for them that are for you as well because they're supporting the people that are above them who are supporting you. And then even all the way down here at the lower level, there's even other smaller administrative kind of, you know, a clerical people or something. And they are for you because they're for the people that are above them who are for the people that are your immediate reports that are for you that are pop. But it's all about what? It's all about you! And the disciples go... Yeah, yeah, that's what we're talking about. And we can't be you, Jesus, because you know you are you, and you are the King, the Messiah. But we uh, could we be here, and and then we would have others that are underneath us that are sort of for us and that kind of thing, and we'll be for you. But this is the way the world works. What's the problem, Jesus? And some of you are thinking of your own office environments right now, or your own work arenas, whatever it may be, and you go, yeah. Yeah, that's sort of the way I feel. And if you're in this kind of culture, in this kind of your system, uh, system it, it's oppressive to you. Jesus knew. He knew the way the world was. Not only then, 2,000 years ago, the way the world is today. So what does he say to them? Not so with you. Not so with you. What? Yeah, not so with you. It's different in the kingdom of God and my leadership and you following after me. And if you're a follower after me and you're placed in places of leadership, not so with you. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And so he came and reinstated a whole different kind of perspective that they needed to grab a hold of. He said, instead, whoever wants to become great among you, whoever wants to be a leader among you, 
must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And they're thinking, I, okay, I, I, Jesus says, I, I don't know how well that's going to work. Like, if we're all like servants and slaves, then I mean, and Jesus was a knock and leading. All right, Jesus was a leader. Jesus appointed leaders. He was not telling you to be passive or to not be uh, progressive and, and, and take initiative. He wasn't telling you, hey, stand at the door. All right, the next one. Stand at the door. All the next one. He created us. In fact, that's one of the spiritual gifts in Scripture is leadership in many ways. But all of us are given authority and places of prominence or power to influence and uh, direct others. And so Jesus isn't knocking leadership, but he's saying this is what a leader is to do or to be like. And so we have a lot of Power struggles, power climbing, one-upmanships happening today. People jockeying for positions. People trying to work their way through that organizational chart. Working their way up to maybe more places of prominence or success. Those kinds of things. It's a dog-eat-dog world kind of thing. And God has a way for us to take his heart for leading. Take the responsibility of authority and how to exercise it. And he says, heads up, not not so with you. He's simply referencing to them this, that we are to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. Just say that with me. You ready? We are to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. And this may have to do with workplace. It may have to do with your family. It may have to do with some other type of social setting or responsibility or area of service that you have leadership in. And Jesus says, not so with you. You are to be a servant. And be first, you have to be a slave of all. This is true. If you believe I'm for you, I'm sorry, if you believe I'm for me, you better be on the lookout for you. That's the culture that's created. And all of us have been in healthy cultures and in dysfunctional cultures. But if you believe the you, you at the top is out for just themselves, I believe I'm in all this for me, then the signal that sends to you is, well, if you're in it for you, then I better be in it for me. And there's this denigration of the culture and the dynamic and the environment. And Jesus had it right here with them. Here's James and John going, hey, we're in it for us. And Jesus says, no, you're not. Because I'm not in it for me. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave them the name that's above every name, but that's the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess. Yes, we understand 
that bigger picture. And so we're fine with Jesus being up there. You are you, but we're supporting. But then, then the culture starts to shift and Jesus says, no, uh, not for you. It's different. You need to model what I have modeled in my own life. And the cultures that go bad are cultures that do not adhere to this key point of leadership that Jesus was trying to articulate them. But if you find that you're in an environment, or if you're around a situation, a setting with your boss, if you believe I'm for you, you can be for the people who report to you. So if you are in authority position over someone, and they come to believe, you know, they're, they're not off on their own little gig and their own little trip and their own little trying to, you know, build the bennies in for them. They, they are actually for me. That's liberating. If you're for me, then I can turn around and be for other people that maybe are not necessarily under you, but around you. And so that servant heart, that giving your life away kind of thing gets reciprocated and it builds a healthier culture. A healthier culture that's important for um, us to be able to not only just uh, uh, find ourselves in a place of comfort and ease and encouragement, that kind of thing. It's important for the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God goes forward and how it's to be built. You know, there's um, a lot of times that there's a... Uh, A recycling of leadership kind of visions, and this is no TED talk, right? This, this here is a biblical talk because leadership is modeled from the life of Christ. And it's interesting as you maybe lead re leadership books or you maybe go to conferences, those kinds of things. It seems like there's a secular uh, kind of teaching that comes back through so many kind of years. In the 80s, there was the Stephen Covey, and he'd gotten it from someone else, you know, seven uh, effective habits of a successful kind of person, right? And then there's um, Jim Collins, who's written book, Good to Great. Maybe some of you read that book. And Jim Collins, is a, he, he was a, a studier of culture and a studier of what things were happening, and he took the initiative to study great leaders in great companies. And what do they have similar one with another? What do you think that he found? If you read the book or his research, it's not necessarily what you think it might be. You would think that, hey, great leaders, great company leaders, great successful uh, entrepreneurships or successful even nonprofit uh, movements, whatever it may be, you would think the leader at the top, that you kind of thing, would be someone who has a lot of charisma, right? Wow, they're just sort of magnetic. And there's nothing wrong with charisma. In fact, you're going to have a leader who has initiative, who thinks big, who's willing to take some risk, who's out there ahead of the game, who's you know, uh, taking their life and circling it around the ambition of the cause. But when he studied all the great companies, the single thing that the great leaders of great companies had in common, it wasn't charisma. You know what it was? Humility. Humility. And it, it wasn't saying that this is what you do to be a great leader. He was just saying, 
let's look across the board and what's happening and what's going on. The, the people that lead well and have great companies, they are people that are humble. And humble in the sense, not that they're some weak, passive, you know, uh, uh, person that stands to the side, you know, they don't have to have this or, um, uh, natural charisma or gregarious kind of personality, you know, and they probably have some strong initiative. But their disposition was discovered as one of humility. In fact, Jim Collins says this, he refers to these as uh, level five leaders. The great irony is that the animus and personal ambition that often drive people to positions of power stand at odds with the humility required for level five leadership. Level five leaders embody a paradoxical mix of personal humility and professional will. They are ambitious to be sure, but ambitious first and foremost for the company, not themselves. So what do you find here with Jesus when, when he sort of has them sit in his little boardroom meeting and said, hey guys, we got to have another talk here about, you know, what leadership is and the, those kinds of things in your world and how people lord it over one another and it's all about them, those kinds of things. But I'm telling you, in the kingdom of God, with me and my world and what the Father has called us to do, not so with you. You need to serve God and serve others. Not be in it to win it for you. But that is the culture, is it not, that you and I have grown up in. And so many times it's become worse even in recent generations, I think in decades, because we get fearful that we don't have enough or we're not uh, in, in a prominent place of importance enough and we have other insecurities that go on and so we have advertisements and the cultures that maybe are around you're pushing pushing for you for better for you for you you and so we're trying to grab everything for us and jesus says we need to flip this upside down on its head and it has to do with ambition but not ambition for you and your means but ambition for the kingdom of god and that's what exactly we found in the heart and the life of Christ. Now, how does this practically work its way out? What can you do to make that shift on a daily basis? I want to present to you a simple question that you can ask yourself. And this question may be, it, it's so simple, you've heard it before or heard it from someone else, that kind of thing. It's like, oh yeah, but it, it, this was a such a good reminder for me because you know, I try to practice this I don't always get there I'm growing in this in my leadership and my servant leadership as it relates because I can get very myopic you know you're focused on your life everything's so busy you're just trying to make things happen and oh my gosh I could not take on more else this and that but there's a simple question that can start to change and flip the culture in whatever environment you're working in whether it's in business or in a church or in a social arena, and it's this question. What can I do to help? What can I do to help you? What? Um, well, um, let me think about that and get back with you later. You are dispositionally placing yourself as a servant 
even if you're not a leader to that person to have authority over them, you're placing yourself as a servant to them. What can I do to help? Something that's very simple and pragmatic. And, and you know, there's certain times that uh, even around here, you know, actually uh, I, tr- I try not to think of it that way and hopefully people are okay with me around here, but I actually have some people that I am their boss. And um, I have to practice this front and center. Sometimes I don't always get there. But I try to realize that I am not above doing anything. And if I need to pick up something, if I need to move a chair, if I need to set something back, oh, Pastor, you don't need to do that. Well, okay, if you want to jump in and help, that'd be great. Get done faster. But I am not above doing it. I am not above trying to seek out someone that, whether they're on uh, a paid staff or a, a, a volunteer, whatever it may be, how can I serve you? And it's like, well, how do you, you can't do that with everybody because then your life goes, no, you can't. But maybe you could do this. At least ask yourself, to put this into practice at least one time a day with the people that you're around and network with them and say, what can I do to help? And it turns you from being self-centered with you at the top to being what Jesus said, not so with you, and to be there for others. And step by step, the culture can be dynamically changed and transformed if we put this into practice. You're basically saying this, how can I loan me for you? How can I loan me for you? What's going on? And maybe one of the ways that uh, this was helpful for me growing up, some of you are aware, uh, know this, that I grew up in Indiana long-term, moved here seven years ago. I grew up in a large grain farm, and so there was a lot of work to do on that farm. I was the third of three sons that were involved on the farm, and God called me into ministry, those kinds of things, but my brothers serve faithfully, and they do a great job, and now, you know, there's other uh, nieces and nephews, those kind of things, that help around that environment, but when you're in that environment, in fact, my uh, brother has this phrase, and he taught it actually to Zach when he was uh, working on the farm some, anticipate to participate anticipate to participate. You know what I'm saying by that? You're looking ahead. What can I do? How can I help? How can I serve? How can I make this thing go better? Like in planting season, the big thing in planting season is to make sure the planter rig, 36 rows, does not stop, as well as the soybean rigs, that they're always going. So everything's sort of serving that purpose to keep them ahead of the game, to keep them going. In the fall, what's the game? The fall is in, hey, the harvest, the combines, that the combines continue to go, that they're running nonstop. When you have thousands of acres, it takes a lot of energy to do that, right? And I think somewhere in the culture of what I grew up in, and I saw it modeled by my brothers, I saw it modeled by my father, and um, I have sisters as well, and the same kind of spirit with them, is that you're there not for yourself, but you're there for the sake of making the greater good and help and support other people. What can I do to help? And you're never above the lowest job on the totem pole at the farm. You're serving. How can I loan me for you? Look for opportunities. To do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Don't get overwhelmed by the masses and all the needs. Just pick out one person. 
this week? What can I do to help them? How can I loan me for you and move towards that vision of what real leadership is? Leverage your authority for the benefit of those who are under your authority. <laughs> Pretty simple. That's your truth for today. Guess what Jesus then said to them? He said it perfectly, plainly, very clear. It's a familiar phrase, maybe that you've heard, but we carry it with us as followers of Christ or seekers today. And it's this. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man, referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh. Great leaders, what do they look like? Not always what the world says they need to look like. They look like Jesus. And Jesus did give his life as a ransom for many, which we will commemorate and celebrate this very month. That's the kind of leader you need to aspire to be. And if you're a follower, you're going to be getting places of leadership. But when you get those places of leadership, don't lord it over people. Serve people. Give them the very heart and the spirit of Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ, then you can sort of pick and choose from these teachings of Jesus and sit back and admire, but you need to know where it's going if you do become a follower of Christ. And those of you who are a follower of Christ, it's, it's a great reminder to us today, but I want to encourage you in this manner. It's not just the thing of, hey, do better. If you cross the line of faith, you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, then guess where the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ lives? within you. And the song that we concluded with in our worship block today, that's that very, come, come rest on me. Come rest on me. It's not like, hey, i got to grab the Spirit to come. No, when you come to know Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Jesus Christ dwells in you. So what do you need to do? You need to yield in those moments to the Spirit that dwells within you. You know if you're having a haughty, egotistic, self-centered kind of drive, and sometimes you don't know that. I mean, there's times when I've said things to my wife or my kids and I've got away from it and I've had to evaluate it and you know I've got a problem. God says, yes, you do have a problem, Carrie. You're very self-centered in that manner. But we have the spirit that dwells within us and so it's not just, hey, you do better and remember this teaching of Jesus. When he died, when he rose from the grave, he ascended to the heavens, he sent his very Holy Spirit back in to empower us, and that Spirit dwells within us. And you can yield to that Spirit. Say, not I, but Christ. Lord, you live through me in this moment of tension in my workplace. You live through me in this moment of where I'm saying to myself, oh, I don't want to do that. You yield and let the supremacy of Christ reign. And that supremacy is not one of lording it over people. It's one of serving. What does that look like in our world? Where do you begin? That's the question before you. How do you leverage your authority for the benefit of those under your authority? How's that going to look? Where do you begin? 
I believe the Spirit will lead you. Now, I have one more exhortation for us as we start to look to finish out here. We as a church have been very blessed in this last year. And you're saying, what? This COVID year has been a pain. It's been a struggle. I'll tell you how we've been blessed, and we talked about it as a board, uh, as elders this last week. We shared it some at men's group on Saturday morning. But it's not just that we've weathered the storm of COVID, the shutting down of church, not being together, not having certain programs operating. I mean, the desire to get the kids' ministry back, student ministry is you know, sort of crawling its way back, but they're usually doing camps and retreats. All that kind of, it's just all been closed down. We've done really well because in this church, I really believe the heart of this church has been that we're not in it for ourselves. We're in it for others. And we really do genuinely care. And we've hung in there. Yeah, there's been some people that moved down to state and some other kinds of transitions. Maybe you're watching online today, that kind of thing. But we've had our body intact. I've, I found out this week of a prominent church that uh, had a, a, a satellite church. And they're looking at closing it down. Now, it's not about the building or the people or some type of namesake. It's about the ministry that goes on in people's lives. But God's been very gracious to us this year. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful to be back in this room. I'm thankful that we don't have to set up outside in the back lot because it would have been a cold day out there. And I'm sure some of the gear would not have worked today outside. But I've also told our board and our staff this last week that uh, in one sense, I'm done. I'm not saying that caution and protection for COVID and all that doesn't need to be maintained. I saw people getting temp checks walking in today and, you know, the mask, you wear the mask in and we're still trying to stay a little socially distanced. So the more and more people showing up on Sunday, we can't quite do the six feet as much as we used to with our chairs. But I'm done and I'm ready to gather everybody back and I'm ready for us to ramp up the mission that we have as a church, the awakening church, people awakening people to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. And so it's not just this question as it relates to your work world, your family environment, your social arenas, what does this look like in the world, what would you, know, you, you, you do to begin? What does it look like in our church? Where do we begin afresh and anew in this spring of 2021 to do what Jesus said? For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so this is not some big um, commercial or promo, but it has to do with the very heart and the character of who we are as a body of people. Several of you are recently new to this body. Some of you may be even new here this morning. And you're like, what's this church all about? Well, this church is about Jesus. When uh, Zach and Britt got married, um, it's like I've married a lot of the cousins, and here I'm marrying you know, my own son, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I've got to come up with something uh, unique and original or whatever. 
And I said, no, I don't. I just have to center myself on the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want to share on that moment of Zach and Britt as they crossed the line of holy matrimony? And I had three points. Do you know what my three points were? We would have invited you all, by the way, but that just doesn't work. It was a great, beautiful wedding, outdoor setting. A little chilly the day of, but uh, we had some good heaters and great memories. And some of you have seen some things my wife's probably posted or Britt, Zach have posted. But it was real simple. I have three things to share. Jesus, Jesus, and Jesus. We talked about the love of Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus, and the joy of Jesus. And when I think about us relaunching, if you will, for the spring, what is this church about? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The love of Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus, the joy of Jesus. And can I add another Jesus? The servant heart of Jesus. I'm really excited about our future. I'm excited about this year. We were ramped up. I got the banner out, hung outside. You see that? If you walk in, some of you don't notice anything. You're just sort of myopic. I get inside. Do we advertise for Easter? You know, it's like, hey, we're only supposed to be so many percentage, all this kind of thing. So you're hesitant to really ramp up for Easter. I'm like, put it up there. We have a lift now. Put the sign back up there. When rolled it and it said 8.15 and 10 o'clock. We've been advertising 8.30 and 10 o'clock. Hadn't used the banner for two years. So, Joe, you got some preliminary work to do. Come at 8.15. We'll be worshiping and we'll start at 8.30. But, friends, I want us to reach out. But for us to reach out, we got to kickstart some things around here. And we need you. So this isn't a commercial or an appeal because if God's not laying on your heart, that's fine. He may have you serve in other dimensions, other things outside the world, serve in your workplace, serving in your family, those kinds of things. But every one of you had this card in your chair when you came in this morning. And you probably saw the card and you said, oh dear. Simply says, serving interest, check interest, place in baskets at entrance points. Can I just highlight a few things before we close here today? First impressions are huge. We don't have the cafeteria, cafe kind of environment set up. We don't have the kids bounce house. So many things that we didn't have. But you know the most important thing when somebody walks in, and maybe some of you were new that walked in today, is the feeling of I um, was welcomed. This is a safe place. This is not a strange place. You get to bring the first impression to some people. And you know where it starts? It starts outside, even in the parking lot. It comes in to the inside of a church, the initiative for all of us to own the greeting world. But we have a greeting team, and guess what? The greeting team is a little anemic right now, right, Carol? Scott, you've been serving four straight weeks outside or somebody, somebody said, because people weren't able to fill the slots. I can't get people even at the doors. And I understand why this is happening. It's because we've gone through this year of being so disconnected and how do we come back in? What's appropriate? Do I shake somebody's hand? Or, you know, 
It's weird, isn't it, what's happened to all of us? But friends, I know it's hard to smile behind a mask, but you can smile with your eyes sometimes and your words. We need people on the greeting team. And here's one of the things that came to us as a board this week. We have a safety issue related to getting little kids across from the parking lot, what's become a little bit of a highway out in front, and it's only going to get worse. We need to get other people out in the parking lot for safety kind of reasons so the little kids don't dart out. But friends, Carol, you want to wave Carol? She, she heads up our greeter ministry, and she has spots. And it's like, oh, I would have to add that spot. Well, I don't even have enough spots to get people at the doors. Friends, how hard is it to greet? Even if you're an introvert, you'll survive. <laughs> okay? It's like an easy first serve. Check that. That is key. There's a lot of check boxes here you can check. That one's key. I'm highlighting the keys. Elders, we closed quickly with the prayer team. We've usually offered prayer after service for people's needs. We need to reestablish a prayer team, people that would be willing to pray with others specifically is what that prayer team request is. The hospitality center, those that, that just doesn't happen on a weekly basis, there can be support in there. But this kids ministry thing, and you knew I was going there. This is at the top. I want you to stay after service. Oliver, we got good Mexican tacos, don't we? You get a taco. And little kids, guess what you get? My wife stayed up late into the night last night fixing a bunch of kid lunches and, and bags. You're going to be in venue C. The adults are going to be in venue B. And we're going to get our heads around this, what it takes to fully launch kids ministry. We got the curriculum. We've got the formats, how we've operated before. We've had a transition of children's ministry directors during COVID, but we are relaunching and we're not relaunching with a staff person. We are relaunching with us. Stay. It's only one hour. Right, Oliver? One hour. One hour. Early childhood, elementary, both, if you're willing and interested. Student ministry, and student ministries on here, as well as the Sunday middle school ministry, guess what we want to do? This is a bold move. We've been talking about it. Joe's saying, let's, let's do it. Joel's saying, let's do it. We are going to restart our middle school ministry on Sunday mornings, which means middle schoolers are in here for worship. But then after the music part, they're going to go to their own group life. And guess where their group life's going to be? In the back lot. We're going to establish it over here that they go out around the curtain into what's called backstage area. There's a door back there and we're setting it all up underneath the canopies and the, and the patio lights that are all out there. We're establishing middle school ministry outside. Easter. Guess what? We need some support in that world. I could go on with these. Each of these areas have viable um, abilities, uh, importance to them. I just want to stop there, though, because Easter's coming. And part of me is really nervous. You know why? We're going to relaunch our children's ministry and middle school ministry and try to do the outreach on a day when we've not done it the week before. Yeah, we are. 
Carrie, that's going to be a train wreck. No, it's not. We're going to have a bunch of Jesus servants loving on people with the joy of Jesus, with the faithfulness of Jesus, with the love of Jesus. And we're just going to do Jesus, 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 Jesus. And we're going to reach people that have never had the opportunity to become a follower of Jesus. I want you to invite people. We're going to be doing some videos. You can get your own handouts. You can send them the websites, whatever. You can pick up. There's greet, uh, invite cards on your way out. I, I'm not holding back. I'm done. We're ready to have not just church. We're ready to be fully on mission for Jesus the way he wants it done, which is with servants. God, we thank you this morning that we're able to center on these words that you spoke to your disciples 2,000 years ago. Lord, may we apply it to our life. Where do we begin? In loaning us, in our abilities, in our experience, in our passions to others. Lord, may we make it our goal for you to be honored and pleased by living out your spirit-filled life on a day-by-day -day basis. Jesus, this is our request, that you would live through us to draw people to you. Lord, there's no reason a world would not be dramatically drawn to you with such lifestyles around them. May Christians be known, even if people don't believe in you, Christ, or don't want to become a Christian, may they desire to have Christians on their team, on their staffs, in their work environments, their franchises, whatever it may be. May people long for Christians because of how they serve and how they lead in serving others. So, Lord, we ask for this, not only for our job place, our work environments, and our homes, but for us as a church. May your blessing abide and descend upon us as we prepare in these days to truly do what you've called us to do as a church, which is to bring people to you so that they can be fully alive in Christ and to your mission. Amen. Thank you. We start lunch in 10 minutes. We'll see you next week if you're not able to stay. <laughs>